everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Core Console RX Podcast. Cole, it's been a while, man. It has. A couple weeks, at least. Maybe not that long. No, we can have feels like for Feels like forever, though. We were cranking them out there for a minute. Mm-hmm. Then we had to take a sabbatical. Yeah, took a little road trip yeah, for we were, work. We were we were deep in research. <laughs> <laughs> Slash Cole had to work a lot. Yeah, yeah. But I'm back. Yes. What's up, everybody on Instagram? Uh, live with us. Adam, what's going on, man, from the Fit Pharmacist? There you go. Watching. So, what are we talking about today? Not flu, because it's not flu season yet, but it's coming up soon. <laughs> That's a good point. We're not talking about flu. Nope. <laughs> I don't really, it's either Crohn or Crohn's. I'm not really sure. Yes. One of those two. One of those two. We're going to go with Crohn's because it's easier to say. Yes. So, we're starting off our uh, inflammatory bowel disease series. Yeah. With Crohn's disease. Yeah. We'll mention ulcerative colitis as well, but uh, I'm going to start with Crohn's and then kind of go from there. We'll see. And when I say series, I mean like we'll probably eventually talk about ulcerative colitis. <laughs> Maybe not necessarily next episode. <laughs> well, we can do like other ones, right? Irritable syndrome and irritable disease with diarrhea and all that kind of stuff. That's, or is that just all the kind of same that's thing? That's uh, IBS. Okay. You're talking about you're getting okay. confused because you've been working too much. I know. Well, we'll talk about a lot of GI stuff. Yeah. As we go. IBS and IBD, we'll throw them all in there. There you go. All right. So, kind of before we get started, what, uh, how's, give us an update. How's life on the road as a pharmacist? It's good. Has it been good? Can't complain. Good, Gearing man. up for flu season. I think um, the flu shots just came in. So, everybody, get them before it gets crazy. That's I know. all I can say. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. But no, um, it's been some, fine. Somebody uh, brought up, the student that's on rotation with me said to, um, she brought up doing a uh, podcast on vaccinations and okay. just going through like an entire adult vaccination schedule let's do so it i think that's a good idea we should yeah. definitely do that then we one. can do like 12 podcasts on uh, children's vaccinations because there's a lot yeah yeah at least 12 at least not 13 yeah it'll be 10 minutes each <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, i think we should totally do that sounds good well yeah do that. and then uh blake and ethan from last month mm-hmm. have been uh Saying they want to come back and do pulmonary arterial hypertension. Okay, because um, they uh, did a little lecture on that. They did. They lectured in my PA class for that. And so uh, we talked about having them back on. So hopefully we'll get to see them again. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll come up with some other topics kind of going forward. It's starting off fall the right way. Mm-hmm. They're endless. I, whenever I think we're running out of stuff, I see another list of, I mean, just GI in general. There's 30 things we could talk about. So. At least. At least, if not 31. And, like, there's about three of those things that we could talk about intelligently. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we research sometimes. Perfect. Sometimes. If, unless we run out of time, then we just talk. <laughs> yeah. Mike doesn't like to end the podcast. He just keep it going as long as we can. Yeah. I mean, this is this is fun for me. So just keep on, keep on rolling with it. Okay. So what is Crohn's disease? Crohn's disease. Well, let's start off with, you know, inflammatory bowel disease in general. Sure. Um, that's kind of the, the overarching term. Um, it's this chronic um, sort of remitting, relapsing intestinal inflammation that we get. Um, and it's broken down into two separate uh, sort of categories. We have ulcerative colitis, UC, and we have Crohn's disease. Um, now, ulcerative colitis is more of like the nonspecific inflammatory disease. Um, you know, so it's diffuse. We don't have a, a cause necessarily. Um, whereas is Crohn's is, is more, um, of a, just a chronic inflammatory disease. Um, it's, you know, we'll kind of break down the physiology and where mm-hmm. it affects, you know, the anatomy of the GI tract. Um, but they are under that umbrella 
of Irritable IBD. bowel disease, yeah. yeah. And Crohn's itself, it was named after Dr. Burl B. Crohn, who first identified it in 1932. Um, and it, like Mike said, it affects the whole GI tract, or can affect the whole GI tract, anywhere from the mouth all the way to the anus. Whereas uh, UC is more specific to the colon, ulcerative colitis. Right. Yep, yep. affects the rectum, colon, and uh, let's... Actually, you know, let's go through some of, I guess, the the differences. Sure. So, fistulas yeah. um, will be seen more commonly in, like, Crohn's disease than you will sort of class. They're very rare, and you see, whereas these crypt abscesses that they refer to them as is, is rare in Crohn's, but more common in UC. Um, there's also, Crohn's has this sort of cobblestone appearance um, that's indicative of, of, it, of it being Crohn's versus ulcerative colitis. Um, like like you say, Cole, the rectal involvement is more so with UC. Mm-hmm. So there's a few things that we can see um, from an anatomy standpoint that kind of differentiate between the two. Right. And they're all, I mean, pretty awful to have uh, frequently, especially if there's a flare, you're going to have persistent diarrhea. You may have rectal bleeding, urgent need to move bowels, cramps in the abdomen, um, constipation, all that kind of stuff with both. Uh, and I don't know, I, it seems like Crohn's might be more severe only because it can affect more of the GI tract. But honestly, I think both are pretty debilitating if they're not treated. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and, and they come, they come about from several different ways. So we have like an immunologic autoimmune component. And so you, you have these, this inappropriate T cell response to just your normal intestinal flora. So you may get like this overproduction of tumor necrosis factor which we'll see plays a role in the treatment mm-hmm. um he may have like an overexpression of interferons um and then you also could have just like this bacterial overgrowth in general so you have like this loss of tolerance almost mm-hmm. for your your normal flora because of this um overgrowth um the bacteria can start producing toxins which mm-hmm. cause inflammation and um, that can also lead to infections and perforations and things like abscesses absolutely um, and there's also a genetic component yeah. So they've uh, they've seen that there's high um, concordance rates between twins. So um, there's also several genetic biomarkers that they've established that uh, we can't get into because those people are a lot smarter than we are. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of the uh, the setup. And you mentioned the inflammatory mediators. That's where pretty much all the drugs are acting. Some specifically for TNF alpha, the glucocorticoids are more broad. Uh, then you have the five aminosalicylates or the oral aminosalicylates, and uh, their mechanism of action is more or less unknown, but they know that they're going to act on those chemical inflammatory mediators to suppress and hopefully decrease inflammation and decrease symptoms. Absolutely. Um, we'll throw in there the, uh, we won't go deep into like the, the different things that can cause flare-ups and things, but nicotine, yeah. um, we were talking about before we started recording, um, one thing that's really interesting is is nicotine, um, you know, smoking does worsen Crohn's disease, but it's actually protective uh, for ulcerative colitis. So you may actually Strange. have a patient that has a flare-up uh, in uh, if they stop smoking with ulcerative colitis. But with Crohn's, it's good. Definitely encourage uh, smoking cessation if possible. Absolutely. So we're kind of going to break these down in between low-risk patients and moderate to high-risk patients because you treat differently based on uh, those criteria. They can kind of determine that uh, through a couple of different calculators. One is the Crohn's disease activity index, 
looks at patients' abdominal pain, general well-being over the course of a week, other complications, abdominal masses or anemia, weight change, calculates the score, gives you an idea of whether you want to uh, treat them as a mild case or more moderate to severe. So where do you want to start as far as kind of going through the drugs? Because sure. there's a lot of them to cover. Yeah, and you can break it down into four pretty simple categories, but there's a lot of medications. So for mild, you're really looking at either uh, steroids, oral steroids, or you're looking at oral aminosalicylates like sulfazalazine and mesalamine. Um, a lot of times people, if it's mild, which features of people with mild Crohn's, uh, would be very, you know, low symptom involvement. Um, they're over 30 years old, so if you're diagnosed before you're 30, then a lot of times they'll consider that moderate to high risk. Um, and there's not a whole lot of complications associated with it. Never been hospitalized for it, or at least no significant hospitalizations. And they might just start you off on some oral budesonide. Uh, oral steroids is a good place to start. Yeah. So, you know, as far as the oral steroids go, um, they're spe- specifically for Crohn's. The one that's approved for for Crohn's disease. They have Intercort EC, mm-hmm. um, Intercort rather, um, which is the budesonide three milligrams extended release capsules. Um, they also have Eucerus, which is a nine milligram ER tablet that is approved for UC only. So we don't want to get those confused. Right. So if we are going to use one of those agents. Um, think for Crohn's disease, um, it's dosed for induction therapy. You're doing nine milligrams um, once daily for eight weeks, and then about six milligrams once daily for three months, and then you're tapering off as part of the maintenance. Yeah, and the differences are actually pretty important because, like we said, Crohn's can affect the whole GI tract, but you want to identify where the flare is, and you want to make sure that the drug reaches that place. So the most common area for Crohn's is the terminal ileum, Um, and or the ascending colon or the proximal portion of the colon. And so that intercourt, uh, it's an enteric coated, uh, kind of like a controlled release situation. So it's going to make it down to that terminal ileum ascending colon region, and that's where it's going to release and deliver its medication. Uh, So you want to focus on that, and hopefully you'll get the best symptom um, resolution there. Uh, We'll talk about other dosage forms that will target uh, other parts of the GI tract, but the most common for Crohn's is the ileum and proximal colon. Yep. So kind of going with amino salicylates. So we we talked about sulfasalazine. Um, that was kind of the first, uh, I guess, kid on the block with the amino salicylates. Mm-hmm. Um, sulfasalazine has this sulfonamide moiety um, attached to a uh, group that's known as mesalamine, which now we know is the kind of preferred agent in this group. Um, but that moiety is cleaved off by the gut bacteria in the colon. And it's that part is absorbed um, and excreted in the urine, whereas mesalamine is not, and it's left in the colon. So that's how they originally came about, um, getting the mesalamine to the site of action. Mm-hmm. They separated them out, and then the mesalamine did its job. And it has a whole bunch of different uh, mechanisms of action. You know, it can scavenge free radicals. Mm-hmm. Um, inhibit leukocyte motility, right. interfere with TNF-alpha, which we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, it can transform 
um, growth factor, uh, kappa B, nuclear, or excuse me, nuclear factor, kappa B, uh, kappa beta. There's suppression of IL-1. I mean, it just all, goes on and on and on. And uh, so it's, it's got a, a lot of different mechanisms of action. Um, however, you do have to pay attention to some of the side effects and, and monitoring and all that. Right. And like you said, the other one is mesalamine, which is related. Uh, we should point out that the use of these in mild Crohn's is somewhat controversial depending on what guideline you look at. So, for instance, the American College of Gastroenterology, um, their updated guidelines don't really prefer mesalamine. They're okay with sulfasalazine, um, but it seems like they would push more towards starting with steroids, whereas other um, guidelines might push you a different way. And as far as how you start treatment uh, with what and what do you step down or step up to, there's two lines of thinking. Uh, there's the step-up approach, and then there's the top-down approach. The step-up approach is usually used when someone is presenting with mild Crohn's. So you'll start with uh, one of these more conservative uh, therapies that have been around for a while, the aminosalicylates or the glucocorticoids. Um, and if needed, if they fail that, then you'll step up to the immunomodulators of the TNF-alpha blockers. If they present with a more moderate to severe case, you may start with a top-down approach. So you would go straight to the TNF-alpha blockers and maybe just leave them there, uh, or you would do a combination of the TNF-alpha with the um, immunomodulators and then maybe step down off the immunomodulator and keep them on the TNF-alpha blocker. But we'll get more into that when we talk about the moderate to, ze to severe cases, but that's kind of what you're thinking and why it's important to try and put them in one of these boxes so you can... Uh, guide therapy, but uh, it's it's a very heterogenic her heterogeneous um, disease state, and it's going to look different depending on the patient. Yeah. So the other thing to keep in mind too is there's several different formulations if of mesalamine on the market. So if you are going to go with mesalamine and, and use these drugs, um, it's really important to understand the difference between the the various brands that are out there yeah. and and know like where they're actually being released uh, along the GI track. So when we think of things like, you know, having like ulcerative colitis, for instance, only in the, the affecting the rectum, you know, it's okay in that case to use something like a suppository. Um, the uh, Canassa is the brand name for the misalamine suppository. So proctitis, things like that. Um, we can we can use in that sense. Now, if we start getting into left-sided disease, um, we start going a little bit further in, like the distal colon, um, then we probably need to go with an enema, something that can go a little bit further into the GI tract or the in, into the colon, and um, that's going to be your brand name. Rawaza is the mesalamine enema. That uh, was one of them, and then you start getting into the the oral agents. Um, which that's where it really gets confusing because I know that when I first looked at this stuff, um, you know, in school and even after school, like if you're working in retail, you'll see these brands come up. Right. Um, but kind of like what's the difference between them? So you have like the uh, Aprizo, you have the Lialda, um, some of these extended release formulations of the drug. And so, um, for instance, like Lialda, they use a pH-dependent coating um, that's going to release at a pH of 7. And so it's going to release the drug at a certain spot mm -hmm. uh, in the colon, which is usually going to be um, proximal colon up into some of the terminal ileum, um, whereas the acetal 
HD, the high dose. It also uses a pH-dependent coating, but it's going to release it higher up in the colon. And so with like acetyl HD, you'll get it all the way almost into the ileum. And the pentassa, which is going to cover the entire length pretty much of the colon, you're going to cover all the way up to the jejunum and uh, just cover a much broader range of the colon. So figuring out where the actual site of action, where the inflammation is being seen, that's really where we need to kind of dictate which which agent we're using. We're not just picking one of these delayed release mechanisms uh, arbitrarily. Right. We should also point out that we're talking about this, but we're very far from G- being GI specialists. So for those out there listening that um, may be concerned with our lack of anatomical knowledge, I can say that GI anatomy is not my strong suit. But uh, um, it's so fluent. <laughs> In this disease state, it is really important to um, know because it's going to guide treatment for sure. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to mention that there's two phases to treatment. Uh, still talking about mild to moderate Crohn's. So you're looking at induction and then maintenance of remission. So if a patient's in a flare, then you're going to have to treat the flare. And the, the goal is to induce remission. And that's why we would use something like budesonide or even one of the aminosalicylates. Or prednisone is another option, but it's generally um, second line to budesonide, maybe if they fail it. Uh, but after that, you have to maintain that remission. So you don't want to keep somebody on long-term steroids, right? We know there's a lot of complications that can come from that. So generally, if you start budesonide, they recommend discontinuing um, after, well, you start to taper after a max of about eight weeks. You can do it at as little as four weeks or so. Uh, and, and the taper should be done by 12 weeks. Uh, but it's, you know, if as you're tapering, if a patient starts to have symptoms, you might have to push that out a little longer, and depending on how things are going, you may need to step up therapy if they're not able to come off of the, the steroid. If they are able to be tapered off the steroid, you can observe them, uh, maybe perform an ileocolonoscopy every 6 to 12 months, and that's the monitoring that they get um, with that disease state. If you are using an aminosalicylate, uh, after the induction phase, when you move into remission, they may just stay on that long term and you continue to monitor them. And if their symptoms get worse, that's when you would consider stepping up therapy. Yep. All right. Where do you want to go from here? I think that basically takes care of mild. Yeah. Right? Move into some of the... Move into some of the more severe cases. More moderate to severe agents. Yep. All right. So, you know, once you've tried local agents, you've tried steroids, you've tried to kind of stop the the inflammation locally um, the next thing you can do is immunosuppressive agents so the thiopurines mm-hmm. so like there is um, um azathioprine imiron is another uh, agent that we'll see we've used this in all kinds of different things now when we need to suppress the immune system um, but it's an, an older agent but you'll still see it used every once in a while mercaptopurine um, is another one um, there there is a black box warning with um, Emeron that's um, for chronic immunosuppression, so you're going to have an increased risk of malignancy in patients with IBD. Um, so you have to have that conversation, you mm-hmm. know, um, and making sure that the benefits outweigh the risks. Yeah, it's important to note that these um, immunomodulators and the TNF alpha blockers are going to come along with much more significant side effects than the other two. So that's why you would reserve uh, using those as initial therapy for somebody who is moderate to severe disease. Right. 
Um, there's also um, the uh, is it? I can't remember why I can't say that word today. Azathioprine. <laughs> Azathioprine. There or you go. Thioprine. Jeez. Um, if the person has a genetic deficiency of thiopurine methyltransferase, mm-hmm. you can't use azathioprine. So that's a fun fact. They do recommend testing for that, right? If you're mm-hmm. gonna try to start yeah. it long term, I suppose. Yeah, long term. Yeah. Um, and then regular adverse effects with that drug: nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, rash, um, increasing the liver function tests. So you got to monitor LFTs. Um, similar uh, kind of warnings, things to watch for with mecaptopurine. Um, but they both do have long-term treatment data in both uh, Crohn's and ulcer colitis. Right. And um, as far as classifying somebody as moderate to severe, an easy way is to become hospitalized for some um, severe complication of Crohn's. Some of those being partial small bowel obstruction um, is actually pretty common and a reason that you can definitely end up in the hospital. Uh, also localized peritonitis, which you would generally treat with broad-spectrum antibiotics, or an abscess, which you would also treat with antibiotics. Um, and these patients are also at increased risk for VTE and uh, PE, so you definitely want to uh, prophylax them for it if they're in the hospital. But um, then you go into induction, and again, you would look to long-term remission um, and maintenance of remission therapy. And with induction, he mentioned the immunomodulators. Frequently, they'll go ahead, if you're doing the top-down approach, they'll go ahead and combine that with the TNF alpha blockers. And um, depending on how it goes, may even take one of the immunomodulators off. Um, but as I understand, I guess they don't do a whole lot of monotherapy with the immunomodulators. Are you seeing that? Yeah, well, and there was a, a study, and I'm totally drawing a blank on it, but I'll pull it up in a second. Um, I saved it not too long ago. Um, that compared, I think it was... What was it? Let me pull it up. I can't believe I'm totally drawing a blank on this. Um, go on and I'll find it in a second. Well, in the meantime, they they do combination therapy for a few reasons. One is to go ahead and attack the disease from two different mechanisms of action, um, hoping to have a synergistic effect, um, reduce the immunogenicity against the biologic therapies, which apparently is the highest when the agent is first started in the biologic therapies or those TNF-alpha blockers. And it also improves the pharmacokinetics. So there's a lot of reasons to go for combination therapy, and I think a lot of the studies um, will um, will prove that. Uh, and then if you can, then you would step down, the reason being to avoid toxicity. Yeah. So the study I was looking for was the SONIC trial. Mm-hmm. Um, they looked at Remicade versus azathioprine versus the combo. And, and specifically in Crohn's disease, it was considered moderate to severe. Um, they, the patients couldn't have had any kind of previous treatment with immunosuppressive drugs or biologics. Um, and the primary outcome that they were looking for was corticosteroid-free clinical remission at week 26. And the combo, when it was compared to Remicade by itself, had a number needed to treat of eight and then the combo com- uh, compared to azathioprine by itself was a number needed to treat of four. So mm-hmm. the combo is much more of a synergistic effect. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, yeah. Yeah, so that seems reasonable. I'm, I, I, yeah, I wrote something up on that post and then totally forgot about it. So it's great. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well, at least you found it. Yeah. Thanks, Instagram. So the common anti-TNF um, uh, agents would be Remicade, Humira, and then there's also Sertolizumab, Pegol, or Pegol. Pegol, uh, yeah. Pegol. 
Um, Simzia is the brand name. Those are kind of the three originals. There's been some other biosimilars that have come along since then. Uh, a lot of times, Remicade or Humira is going to be first line. They're both humanized monoclonal antibodies that are going to uh, attack tumor necrosis factor and overall hopefully decrease inflammation. Um, between the two, there hasn't been any studies that have been done comparing them. They both seem um, both seem as reasonable options, but the Simzia uh, you would probably consider more of a second-line agent. And these don't come without their issues. They definitely have significant adverse effects to be aware of. Um, so they're injections. So you're going to have injection site reactions, infusion-type reactions. You can also have neutropenia, increased risk for infections, um, heart failure or exacerbation of heart failure. Um, he mentioned malignancies with the immunomodulators. That's also a risk here. And also an induction of autoimmunity uh, to the medication. So um, that's why they're considered used, or they're, they're used mainly for moderate to severe disease. Um, but they do work very well. Um, patients have to do have to report a negative TB test yeah. before starting them. And if you're unfortunate enough to show latent TB, you have to get that treated before right. they, they start. Because they can reactivate. Yes. Not fun. Nope. All right. So um, the other drug class that's out there, it's actually approved only for Crohn's. So it's not approved for... Um, for UC is an integrin receptor antagonist, and it's natalizumab to Sabri. Um, this was first approved, I believe it was first approved in MS. I don't think Crohn's came out first. I think that was a secondary indication, if I remember correctly. Um, but that's going to basically um, prevent inflammatory cells from migrating to the gastrointestinal tissue um, based on this integrin um, pathway. So you're blocking those integrin receptors and stopping the inflammatory cells from migrating. Um, that is given as an IV, which um, makes it very less convenient. Um, and there is a black box warning for PML, uh, which if you're not familiar with that is a progressive multifocal leukoencephalopathy. So it's a viral infection in the brain that can lead to death. Mm. So not great. No. Um, and there is a REMS program associated with it called TOUCH, um, so you have to be able to get the drug through that program and probably much better options out there, but it is approved for CD, so just make sure you're aware of it. Um, it can also cause a lot of uh, infusion site reactions, headache, uh, fatigue, and also even depression in patients. Yeah, got to be aware of those adverse effects. So how long do you treat? So we mentioned maintenance therapy and stepping down. Uh, so you would start out with a combination and hopefully induce remission. Um, you would continue the combination for a while. The TNF-alpha blocker is more or less considered um, long-term, potentially lifetime therapy. Uh, it's really unclear how long um, you would need to treat with that. With the theopurine, which is the immunomodulator, they recommend about 1 to 2 years, 12 to 24 months of treatment after uh, you've induced remission, and then you can probably look into dose-reducing or even taking the drug off completely and just going with monotherapy with the TNF-alpha. But um, there's a lot of ways to do it, and it really depends on the patient and how they're responding to the treatment. Uh, and the ultimate goal is to um, prevent symptoms, prevent complications, um, yeah, and, you know, decrease risk of long-term issues. Yeah. 
Um, I'll mention this drug too. I know these are some of the more obscure drugs, but I do want to mention just because they're out there. Plus, I like the commercial for this one because I keep seeing it on TV. But uh, Intivio. Oh, yeah. I've seen it too. Um, Vitalizumab. Uh, it is also an IV medication. Um, it's approved for Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, but um, definitely one that has a high chance of causing infections, um, infusion site reactions. Uh, they want you to be up to date on all vaccines before you start therapy. Uh, also, it can cause PML as well, um, but it's in the same class um, as Tisabri is. Um, but it's just a newer agent. They do say that if you do not have any benefits seen within 14 weeks, then you need to go ahead and stop therapy. That mm. the, the risks don't outweigh the benefits. Only that with point. that medication or the other chenofalpas? That's the one specifically I have written for that one. I don't think for Tisabri is the same thing. Okay. I could be wrong, but I'll double check. And then, uh, yeah, there, there's another... Um, Anti-interleukin-1223 antibody that's that's out there. Um, Stellara, yeah, that's approved for Crohn's, who have failed standard therapy. So this is only given in cases where patients have tried all the other agents, hasn't worked, and uh, so they're trying this agent. It can be given IV or sub-Q, um, and it's going to block uh, IL-12 and IL-23 from... You know, those are inhibitory receptors on the cytokines um, for T cells. You're blocking natural killer cells. You're blocking antigen-presenting cells. Um, so just shutting down the immune system, which then leads to possible infection. <laughs> so all of these really have have a lot of risk with them. So you mm-hmm. got to be very careful. We should do an episode on um, drug commercials. We should. Yeah, because there's a lot that goes into those. Yeah. Like what they're allowed to say and the animations and the fact that we're even allowed to have them in other yeah. countries or not. My favorite Very is the uh, the one where you st- the two, the couple is sitting like in the opposite bathtubs <laughs> for the Seattle's commercial. I, I don't get that one. I'm very confused. Well, they pro- I bet they were in the same bathtub at one point, and then they're like, no. Why are there bathtubs outside? Oh, that's the best question. That's a better Why question. Why can't they afford a house? <laughs> Someone should really help them. They can afford to see Alice, but not a house. That's unfortunate. Well, they need Viagra. It's generic now. That's true. Plus, the plumbing has to be really expensive out there to drain that water. I mean, yeah, they didn't think it through. There's I don't, a lot of I, interesting ones. I don't and like it. One that I saw recently, oh, it was for Ozempic. It totally, they had this copyright infringement on some famous song. Really? Oh, yeah. I can't remember the song, so I'll, I'll have to sing it on the next episode. But I oh, can't wait. I, I, I'm, they had to have gotten permission to do that because it's totally just a ripoff of a of a very famous song. That's a, I, I haven't seen Olympics advertised. It just came up. And, you know, I've seen a few patients on it, too. Have you? Yeah. Hmm. It's good. I also saw somebody on, um, man, uh, whatever I did my grand rounds topic on, it's embarrassing that I can't remember now. Sultofi? Yeah. <laughs> I saw patient on that too. <laughs> I, I finished that and just dumped it all out of my brain, so I can't remember the it's name. Good. I'm of glad the drug. it's such, such an effective drug. <laughs> <I know. laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, good stuff. So that's Crohn's disease or yeah. Crohn disease, depending on what part of the country you're from. Right. <laughs> or if you want to say it correctly or not. Yeah, if you want. Maybe, maybe it's like octopus. There's actually three correct ways to use the plural form. I doubt so it. So maybe both of these are right. <laughs> Somebody made that up. They just didn't want to look stupid. Oh. So yeah, that's that's a very uh, grossly oversimplified mm-hmm. version of Crohn's, but that's mm-hmm. fine. Um, we, our point here was to kind of go through some of the different possibilities. And some different drugs. Um, different drugs that you'll see. 
um, we definitely would encourage you to kind of go through research on your own, some of the, the mechanisms, some of the immune response that's happening, um, looking at some of the anatomy, especially for the pharmacists that are listening. Um, I, I know we don't spend a lot of time doing gross anatomy. But we don't dissect things. We don't, but I would highly encourage you, and I'm getting this, the more I spend time with like the PAs and the physicians at the, at the PA school, mm-hmm. um, I'm getting more and more of an appreciation oh, for yeah. understanding the anatomy and the physiology. Uh, because it, when you figure out where these drugs are working in the body, it makes it easier to, makes to understand mechanism yeah. and to get a deeper understanding. So I would encourage you to do that in all of your free time. Yeah, and you know, if, if you get some other free time, check out the different different guidelines on whether to start with steroids or start with an amino salicylate because I don't really know. It's conflicting. So. Yeah, a lot of conflict, and there's a lot of primary right. literature and a lot right. of meta analyses, things like that. So probably depends on the patient, patient presentation absolutely. and um, what side effects that you're okay with and not okay with, and what they've tried before, all that kind of stuff. So yes, absolutely. or just what your go-to because sometimes that seems to be the case. What do I like to use? And that's what they use. Some somebody on Instagram just said, "Speak loudly, please." <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> eventually uh, we'll have the mic hooked up to yeah uh, we'll do that next time buddy yeah, sorry we'll have it hooked up to the phone somehow listen you, what you need to do is pull up the podcast uh mute your phone listen to the podcast in the car and then watch it or you can just watch the youtube video make it all easier <laughs> <laughs> yeah instead of doing any of that just watch like, it on, just like watch it on youtube i like making things as difficult as possible it's good to add some challenge there yeah makes yeah. life more interesting for sure all right, guys. Um, also, want to bring up this episode has been brought to you by the first-time pharmacist, uh, written and published by Dr. Richard Waith. Um, he's a buddy of mine. Uh, really good book for those of you who are finishing up pharmacy school or in your fourth year. I would highly encourage you to get a copy. Um, make sure that uh, you leave a nice comment in his uh, Amazon reviews if you do like the book. Um, but it's available on Amazon as hard copy and digital. So the first-time pharmacist. Got it up there on the shelf. Instagram can't see it, but yeah. on a YouTube video, you definitely can. It's right there. Yeah, just use your imagination, Instagram. Yeah, and uh, make sure you you check it out. It's a it's a good one. And if you enjoy the podcast, leave us a comment or at least a rating. We would appreciate it on iTunes or wherever else you listen. And we will check you next time. Later. <laughs>